0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back
1: to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So it's been quite a while since we talked about virtual reality. Not that the, I don't want to give people the impression that this episode is about virtual reality, but I don't play ping pong anymore. I quit when I got to the best I could get. And I haven't played it in a long time. The best but a lot in of people, the world.
0: John's well, I, was in to,
1: I got to top 500 in the world. It was it was quite an accomplishment. And I also wasted, not wasted, but I there was some exercise. There was many hundreds of hours. There's a lot of work going into that. But a lot of people have been curious about the golf game and you you've been playing it recently you told me so what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah I mean I I thought that with the fact that I have a simulator in my house I'm not going to get any advantage out of or any use out of getting this golf game but I just thought I'll get give it a go because I've got someone who I know who's kind of young and they want to get into golf but obviously it's really difficult for them so I thought maybe this is a good way of teaching them some things and I got it and started playing it and just to see what it was like. And about two hours later, my battery on the Oculus Quest ran out. And <laughs> I realized I was really enjoying myself. It's so fun. So if there's anybody out there listening and there's someone that you want to get into golf, but you just think, you know, there are too many barriers, it's too difficult for ha- perhaps, this Oculus Quest game is really, really good. I mean, if you've got, got a spare, what, $500 to throw around, or if you already have an Oculus Quest, it's, uh, it's called Golf Plus.
1: Yeah, I saw, by the way, this is not an ad read, but if Golf Plus wants to throw us some cash, that's fine. I saw Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth are investors, so it's going somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's really accurate. I mean, I not, I wouldn't say really accurate, but if I want to draw it on that game, it'll draw. If I want to fade, it'll fade. And, you know, I was hitting shots and I was thinking, oh, this is a little too easy. You know, all these shots are going off relatively straight. And then I went into a game with other people and saw that they were struggling at least directionally. So I thought, oh, it is it is actually challenging. It's just because obviously I'm a pro golfer. It was easier for me it helps you with the hardest part of the game initially which is contacting the golf ball so every beginner comes out and they can't they just can't hit the ball they can't strike it they miss it and this helps you with that it's not completely idiot proof you'll still miss the ball if you make a horrendous swing but it lets you get away with a hell of a lot more and it allows you to hit the ball farther with, with less effort. So those people with less power, for example, you know, a shot, that a swing that would go maybe 30, 40, 50 yards might go 100 yards in this game. So it really ramps it up, but it does cap you out as well. So, you know, we, you and I wouldn't be hitting it 400 yards in this game. It's, so it, it really handicaps everybody, basically. It makes the game fun for everybody.
1: I'm going to have to give it a shot. Well, if you have any listeners with the Oculus, I guess uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. What is today's topic, us up?
0: We're going to be talking about getting advice from outside sources. Mainly the, the idea of this initially was YouTube, because that's where you know I get a lot of amateurs, they say, well, I'm listening to this person on YouTube, that person on on YouTube, or I saw this video. I get a lot of lessons that people come in, and they say, well, what do you think about this? Or I play with guys on the golf course, and they're always trying the latest YouTube video. And sometimes it's good for them, but more often than not, I see a case where it's like, why are you trying that? (laughs) Where did you get the idea that that specific advice was good for you, you know, it's not bad advice, but the player trying it, they shouldn't be trying it in that regard. So I thought, you know, YouTube advice would be good, but we could also look at, you know, getting advice from amateurs, from friends, even from professional teachers and from professional players, because you've got to be careful with this stuff. So the the main goal is to help people become more critical with their thinking.
1: Yeah, this show... (laughs) <laughs> or maybe we're talking out of both sides of our mouth here the show that gives out golf advice is going to do an episode yeah. about a cautionary tale on taking golf advice but i mean on a serious note that is really one of the main reasons i started my site a while back was that i was not satisfied with a lot of the information that was out there whether you know what was available to me when i was much younger or what i was seeing online i was like well it's not that it's not i mean there is I will be honest in this episode. I think there's some real garbage information out there, and I'll point out where you can, I can guarantee you'll find it in this episode. But there's a lot of great information. And I think the trap we fall into in golfers is that if you understand something like academically or theoretically in golf, That it somehow is going to absorb into your game on the course. And unfortunately, like golf does not work that way. You know, the more you consume, especially on the golf swing, I would say the worse you get for most players. You know, this is a topic I'm fairly passionate about as well. And I don't think there's a right answer for everyone. But as you said, you know, our goal in every episode is to get people to think critically and coach themselves. So perhaps we'll try and give you some good filters you can use when you're out there. At the range, listening to that random guy on the golf course with your buddies or poking around YouTube, Instagram, wherever you get your golf advice. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that when I was learning the game, it just golf seemed like voodoo. I tried, you know, I tried to get advice from all the books, from all the magazines, any new magazine that came out. I got it straight away. And, you know, there's lots of conflicting advice. I remember scenarios where they, you'd have on the front pages of the magazine it'd tell you one thing and then you'd flick towards the back and it'd have an example of a pro doing the complete opposite. And so it was really confusing as an amateur and that, that was never, cleared up really. as It's like, well, how are they telling you to do this thing? And yet there's these 10 pros doing the other things. And now we understand a lot more. I think information has got a lot better. There are lots of great teachers out there with good knowledge, understanding that there's not one perfect way to do this. There are lots of different matchups, we call it. So yeah, advice is getting better, but Is still, it's always good to be more critical thinking, even as a coach. And even when you're listening to us, you know, be critical thinking. We might say something and it might not apply to you. We try to help you understand when it does, but yeah, there might be certain things that might not be applicable to you.
1: I try to be self aware of this because I realize that, you know, I give out a lot of advice in my book, on Twitter, on my site, this show, and I have contradicted myself at some point. I'm a human being, of course, I'm going to contradict myself. And I think I was messaging with someone the other day on Twitter where they were saying, well, listen, I, you know, I listened to your show. I've got Adam's book. I've got your book. And I feel like when I turn off all this stuff, that's when I'm playing my best. And I'm like, by all means, you do not have to listen to us all the time. And we're going to keep trying to put out information out there because we have so many different types of golfers listening to us. But I also want to be self-aware enough that, you know, you can't do it all at once. So... I guess this applies to us as well. So be, be careful what you you use and don't use from us because you know you have to be your own filter in this game. You can't do it all. So where do you want to start? You had a little bit of an outline for us on just this conversation. On,
0: just, just on that topic, it's understanding when it's relevant to you. You know, I did a I did an art. Some of this is obvious, but we can maybe make mistakes as an amateur golfer. You know, if I I did an article on how to fix your slice. <laughs> and I had someone email me and saying, Adam, I read your article and you know it made me worse. And, and it turns out that they were a hooker of the golf ball and they took the information on how to fix your slice. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean some of so it, it is obvious worse but, but then yeah I mean I'm I'm hoping it's I shouldn't say this because probably the person listening is going to feel really bad about that now but some of this I, I need to be more cautious if I'm writing an article or if I'm doing a video of saying at the very start of it look this is when this applies this might not be relevant to you if you are x player or y player so yeah it's it's about even for us, it's a stage of learning where we're seeing how to, you know, all the different people that come to us and all the different problems they have and making sure they understand when is it relevant to them. So on your question, what the outline is, I thought about talking about amateur advice. So lots of people get advice from their friends when they're playing on the course. Uh, most people, if if there's a player who's better than them, they're gonna take advice from them. But I've seen players who, you know, I've seen 12, 13 handicaps still taking advice from 20 handicap players. A player who's worse than them, they're still taking advice from them. That's not necessarily that a player who's worse than you has worse advice, but it's interesting. Also, we can look at professionals, so professional players. You know, there are lots of videos floating around of good players, tall players giving advice or what they think they do, and so uh, there's cautionary tales there youtube or magazines things like that and then even coaches i'm gonna have a crack at us coaches as well (laughs) and get and give you some ideas of what to look out for for good coaches there are lots of good coaches out there but yeah there's still things to look out for with us and ask us
1: i think the most obvious situation is definitely with the i always called it a bad game of telephone that occurs amongst recreational golfers you know you got someone who read an article in a magazine, watched a video, they go to the range, they're telling their buddies like, oh, I figured this out. And then this information is being relayed, (laughs) probably not in in its original form. That's been watered down a bit. And then you got five other people trying it. I think golfers genuinely want to help each other. This is not coming from a bad place. But if you go to any practice range around the world right now or on the course, you're going to see this happening. And it's always the most common ones is up. You picked your head up. Oh, you didn't, you didn't swing smooth on that one. It's, it's the, you know, the kind of the cliched ones we joke about quite a bit. It's hard because like I said, I think people have good intentions, but coaching a golfer is much different than like playing the game. And yeah, I guess I've made that transition to being someone who became a pretty good golfer. And then I gave advice from a golfer's perspective. So Um, I'm not always right. I've gotten some things wrong. So I am technically this person. Uh, Luckily, I think I've gotten some results at this point that show I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. But yeah, I think you have to do your best to not be an open book. So I know there's a lot of golfers out there who are just willing to accept the tip from anyone, are willing to listen, and let the information in from all sources, including your buddies. And I've never really seen that story end well, have you?
0: <laughs> Not really. I mean the first point that I have on my list for amateurs is that I rarely I'm talking about less than two, three percent of the time. In fact I don't I think that's being generous. I rarely see good advice from amateurs, an amateur giving advice to another one. And that's bad to say, I know the pitchforks are gonna come out with that, but it's just the reality that uh, you know I'm often on the range and I can hear a person giving advice in the next bay down to their friend. Again, as you said, it's all well-meaning, so I don't kind of jump in and intervene, no, I'm, I'm gonna let them do what they do, but I just think often, poor person. <laughs> you know, the advice they're getting is usually completely irrelevant or in a lot of cases, I'd actually say most cases, is actually counterproductive for the player. So for a, a couple of examples of this, you know, I saw a player slicing the hell out of it. You know, they've got a wide open club face. They've got a weak grip. They, the wrist angles are just opening the face and they had their buddy next to them telling them they need to shift their weight more. And I'm looking at that player thinking, well, if they shift their weight more, they're gonna slice it even more. Because as you shift your weight more, it's just a fact in geometry, you're gonna present the path more into out, and the face is gonna tend to be more open. So both of those things will tend to make the ball start more right. So you'll start to hit more of a push slice. So usually when a player has a very open face, they will hang back on their back foot to try and help them close the face and to help them swing more left so they can hit a functional shot. Not saying that's a good method to use, but there's a kind of order in what how you would fix things you know that player that i'm looking at they need to fix the club face first they're not going to be able to do that weight shift that the player is trying to get them to do and if they do they're going to hit it worse so there's so many examples of that where people are you know trying swing advice that's actually counterproductive to their goal
1: yeah when i think when it comes to we could separate this into different categories but As you said, if it's technical advice about the golf swing that's being thrown around, I would say there's next to no chance it's going to help. (laughs) And that's just because I have so much respect for what it takes to understand all of the moving parts of the golf swing and then communicate those fixes to a player. Someone who is playing golf for fun, I just can't imagine they have that skill set. So yeah, with the swing tips... Cover your ears, please. Other things I see a lot of it are like strategically, like I'll see people, even for me, if I'm playing a golf course for the first time and someone's giving me like strategic advice, they're like, well, you're going to want to land it on the right side of this fairway to make sure that you get to that pin over there. Or they say, oh, well, if the pin's over here, you want to leave yourself an uphill putt, stuff like that, which, you know, if you listen to this show, (laughs) you know that we don't subscribe to, to stuff like that just because... I would say no one has that much control over the golf ball where they can plot their way around the course like that. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of that with strategic advice or someone saying like, oh, you know, you got to make some birdies here to make up for it. There's just, again, well-intentioned trying to help, but I don't know if it's helping all that much. And there's a reason. Would you listen to someone's armchair legal advice or accounting advice or medical advice? Probably not. And I think the golf swing is no different it It's very hard to understand it, and you've got to study it and also have the time to work with pupils to be good at fixing other people and Your typical fifteen handicap who shows up to the course on the weekend just does not have that skill set, so it's just a
0: reality yeah, lots of amateurs that I see when they give an advice they they're looking at symptoms and they're not looking at the causes of those things so an example on the course I played with a guy and he's slicing everything off to the right. So, well, he actually, he was playing functional shots. You know, he was hitting a lot of shots that would start down the left side and fade. So you can imagine his alignment, right? He lines up down the left-hand side. So he's hitting these shots, start left, and they fade onto the target. But obviously, as he's going through the round, he misses a couple to the right. What do his partners say? They look and they say, Oh, well, you, you're lining up way left. That's why you miss to the right. You need to line up squarer. So this, this guy is poor guy. He's like, Well, I want to do things the right way. So he starts lining up squarer, even as his friends help him line up. And now he starts missing everything to the right. Because he's got an open face. <laughs> you know, he's got a swing that's making the ball go to the right. That's why his alignment is offline. So the the symptom there was he's lining up to the left. And the cause for it was he's got a way open face. So that's why the ball's going to the right. So that's why he's lining up left. You need to fix the face first and then the alignment will often fix itself. And if it doesn't, then you can fix it a little later. But, you know, amateurs, they'll, they'll see the symptoms like this and they, they don't see the initial cause. And they think that often it's based on aesthetics as well, you know, lining up offline line to them is not aesthetically pleasing or is not textbook. It's not the way you should, in air quotes, do it. And so they try and they think that, oh, well, if you do more things like you should, then you're gonna hit it better. And that's just not the case because often someone's fault is actually there to help them. And when you remove that fault, you make them worse. So you have to get to the root cause fault first. It's a bigger picture that professional golfers and instructors see we can see chains and reactions and things like that i think we're very
1: comfortable saying that especially that that if it's that random guy at the range or woman or your buddies <laughs> generally especially if it's swing advice probably not going to work out for you we feel pretty comfortable saying that do we want to move on to the next can of worms or do you have any more thoughts on that on that bucket
0: Yeah, I've got some some more thoughts as well. I mean, the problem with amateur advice is, and this this is actually true of any advice, is that blind squirrels find nuts occasionally. And what I mean by that is say you get an amateur and they give advice to someone, that player might hit 10 shots and they'll hit a number of bad ones because it's bad advice. And inevitably, just due to random variations, random uh, natural variations, they all hit a good shot within that 10. The amateur coach may then go, see, you did it there. And it might not be that the player did what they were asking of them. It might just be that that random variation produced a good shot there. So you could do something that's harmful to you and still get a good result. And then I've seen players go off and they go, oh, right, okay, so I've hit that one good shot there. My friend said I did it, did what he asked me to. So now I need to really go off and practice that. And they go off and they practice it on their own and they get themselves into, you know, they tie themselves into knots effectively trying to do what the player asked them to do when it was bad advice all along. I give the example of if your watch stops, you could replace the battery or fix the watch or you could whack your watch against the table and it might start again, <laughs> but that's not the right way to fix it, right? You whack it against the table and you go, oh, it started. And if you do that enough, you'll, start, you'll break the watch. So it's often best just to fix the watch or replace the battery.
1: It's amazing how quickly, if you have a golfer who's like doing something well, and other golfers see that they just like flock to it it's like moths to a flame it's unbelievable because everyone's so and again we all want to get better and we're so eager to figure out this game I remember during our, our club championship I was putting really well and I had a lot of people at the club watching me and I remember being on the practice screen like the following week and I have a Seymour putter which I love I believe in their system and people were holding this thing and trying to putt with it like it was Excalibur. And I'm like, I don't know if it's going to like, I like this putter. It's good for me. It works really well for me. But like, I was trying to be honest. I'm like, it, you know, it could work for you. It might not. I mean, the results that are occurring for me, there could be something else in there other than just the putter. It happens to, it happens to suit my style and the way I like to putt. It's always interesting to me when you're around someone who does something well on the course, like people want to just, immediately suck it out of you and unfortunately a lot of the times that player can't fully explain and we're going to get into this with pro golfers too a lot of golfers don't really understand why they can do something they think they do but I don't think they really do perhaps that's a segue to our next one but yeah it's 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 tough. I think, you know, if you're around some really good players, like if you had access years ago when I first started playing with like scratch level golfers, I did learn stuff from them, but it was more about like process and like emotional control and just watching how comfortable they were on the course and the routines that they had. Like That was stuff that I could genuinely glean from them or the way they practiced, like how focused they were. But I wouldn't ask them for a swing tip because I don't think they would be able to convey... Why their golf swing was so good, and more importantly, how that would work for me. I think there are some things you can learn from better players, but I don't think it's really the technique stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember as a kid not hitting the ball very far, and I'd play with some guys who hit the ball a mile, and I'd want to know, I'd ask them, How'd you hit it so far? And obviously they'd say a bunch of stuff that was completely irrelevant, like, oh, you got to get it in this position at the top of your swing and then you'll hit it as far as me. What I didn't realize <laughs> is they just had 120 mile an hour of club yeah. speed and I, and I was swinging at 95 mile an hour. So there are things rooted in fact, there are things rooted in physics. And that's why I like these days that there are definite answers for these. And it could be that they were always there, those answers, but it, it, seemed, it did seem very voodoo-esque when I was learning golf. You know, the, the, even the online articles when the internet first started coming out, you know, I remember stories of, oh, if you lag it more, you'll start to hit it farther. If you do this with your shoulders, you'll start to hit it farther. And, you know, none of it helped me hit it farther. It was just, I would have been better off with a, a stick trying to swing it as fast as I could. So yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much out there. But what's some of the common advice that you hear on the course? What's the most common stuff that makes your eyes roll into the back of your head john
1: it really always goes back to the picking your head up thing and like it goes back to those three or four statements like just they keep getting uttered over and over and over again because again if you watch someone swing on a golf course how long is their swing you know a second three quarters a second whatever it takes you're only going to be able to pay attention to like the big motor pattern. So, yeah, if you see someone picking their head up, you're like, oh, that was it. Or, you know, the tempo of their swing, which, you know, we've had more in-depth discussions on what creates good tempo and it's not the visual aesthetics of it. It goes a little bit deeper than that. You hear the nonsense about putts mysteriously breaking on one part of the course because there's a creek a mile away that has this gravitational pull that supersedes gravity (laughs) you know all the the greatest hits are always out there again I don't think it's it's well-intentioned people aren't trying to be rude they're trying to help I think it's a nice part of the game in terms of its camaraderie but if you do want to get better I think for the most part you just kind of nod your head and smile and say thanks and then don't use the tip.
0: <laughs> well, as an instructor, I can't do that in a lesson because my way around it is when someone comes to me and they've been given a poor piece of advice. And well, I can yeah, that's see a it's much actually, different context. Yeah, when, when I can see it's actually hurting them. Like, say, for example, oh, I'm trying to swing it easy. And I say, well, why are you doing that? Oh, because, you know, my friend told me he's a low handicap. He says, swing it easy. And if I see it's hurting them, I'll say, okay, let's do a test and I'll get on my quad and I'll tag the balls and I'll say, right, hit 10 shots, swing it easy, swing as easy as you can. I may even do another test where I say, swing it easier than that. And then we do another test where we do, right, hit it as hard as you can now or, or increase your tempo. Let's go faster. And then from there, we can actually look at the outcomes and we can say, well, this is doing nothing for you. Or In rare cases, it might actually be improving a player. There are rare cases that I have to step back and say, you know what, that bit of advice is making you better. But in most cases, we look back and we say, actually, this easy swing is doing absolutely nothing to improve your game. It's just making you hit it shorter. Or even with the heads up thing, I'll record a player when they do a good shot And then when they're hitting shot, 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 and then they hit a bad one, I'll say, what do you think happened there? They'll often say, oh, I lifted my head up. Then we stick the videos side by side. And you know how many times I've seen someone pick their head up earlier? Less than 1% of the time. In most cases, I've seen more cases where someone's kept their head down longer on their bad shot. I've seen that more times. Even though the person feels like they pick their head up. So often what you feel you do or what your friend tells you you've done, you haven't actually done. And video evidence would prove that. But uh, yeah, people will often see something that's not actually happening. So be very, very careful. People see what they want to see.
1: Yeah, and just give the craft its respect because let's say reading legal documents was a game like golf was. (laughs) <laughs> and I bring you a contract that's 30 pages long and be like, hey, uh, I'm thinking to sign this contract. Do you see any something I might be missing here? Any blind angles that I'm not looking at when this transaction completes? Would you trust someone who dabbled in the legal profession to give you a good answer on that? No. You would want someone who went to law school and who's practicing in that part of law. Let's say it was a real estate transaction. You'd want a real estate lawyer. I think that level of knowledge is somewhat in the same realm of the golf swing. So give it the respect it deserves and just do what you would normally do. Like you wouldn't take legal advice from someone who wasn't a lawyer. You wouldn't ask a non-CPA how to file your tax returns and make sure you're not going to break the law or something like that. There's a lot of nuance to it. So yeah, that would be my closing statement on technical advice on the golf swing that you hear from your friends on the course. What about
0: professionals then? Surely someone who's won a major or is a top player, surely their advice is going to be ideal, right? Surely their advice is going to be perfect. This is the tough one. Hopefully the pitchforks don't come out on
1: on this one. I don't necessarily think every professional golfer... Is incapable of giving good advice. Like Patrick Harrington, actually has a, a YouTube channel that's quite cool. He's giving out like very cool stuff. Uh, I don't know if all of it's right or is going to help everyone, but he's an interesting character. My belief on pro golfers, like someone who can play that well, I don't think they fully understand how they do what they do. And I don't think we fully understand it either. I think there's more to go in terms of our understanding of the brain, motor, like all that stuff. I still think it's a black box. Like why can Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy go up to that tee under those circumstances and hit those golf shots? I don't think we fully understand that yet. And they sure don't either. So like when I hear Phil Mickelson gave a lot of advice on short game and stuff like that, I'm like, it's so difficult to comprehend from someone that good at it the one of the best to ever do it to relay that info to someone else and i'm not saying he doesn't have good information on it but i wouldn't just assume because someone reached that level they're able to like dole out swing advice on on stuff like that because they're just that good they're on a totally different plane than everyone else
0: yeah well it's actually a logical fallacy called call to authority or appeal to authority that says that just because someone is good at something or an authority figure even that automatically makes their advice correct that's that's not true i mean it's been proven through history it's, it's more likely to be true but when it comes to actual sports and movements and things like that, just because someone's physically capable of doing something certainly doesn't make their advice more correct necessarily. Being good at something doesn't make you good at teaching it either. So it might be that your advice might not be really good, your way of teaching it and conveying it to others might not be good either. So for example, we're all expert walkers or pretty much everybody listening to this can walk really well. But if you ask someone, explain the mechanics of walking, you know, how much do you bend your leg? Do you plant your heel first or your toe first? Do you swing your left arm when your right foot goes forward? You know, if we had to actually break down the mechanics of walking, most people couldn't do it. We wouldn't be able to teach it to someone who, say, needed rehab on on their walking and they lost their ability to walk. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean you know what you do and doesn't mean that you're good at teaching it.
1: It's a different skill set. It's an entirely yeah. different skill set. They, you know, someone who plays professional golf has worked tremendously hard on a singular, somewhat selfish pursuit. They're not helping other golfers. They're trying to be the absolute best they can be. They didn't spend a lot of time working with amateurs, giving lessons. And that's why, you know, you see a lot of pro players transition to being teachers eventually because, you know, maybe they learned a lot from their instructors. But eventually they're going to have to spend some time working on their craft of, of coaching and communication and all of that stuff like that takes many hours of work as well not that they're incapable of doing it but i always snickered at like the articles in the major magazines over the years when it was just it's just a revolving door of who's playing the best in the world that time and like what five steps to success off the tee or pitch shot that they use to hit it it's like well that's how they feel it and interpret it but how does someone who doesn't have the same eye hand coordination and experience in the game interpret it far different. So that's why I never found much value in those articles.
0: Yeah. I mean, pros will often have what we call the expert problem. This is true, not just in golf, in in other fields as well, where we can't, or the pro can't remember what it was like to even be a beginner. They're so good at their craft that they forget that just hitting the ball is difficult enough for a beginner. So imagine you you ask a, an elite blacksmith, how do you hammer a nail? And they've been doing it for so many years and they you know say they bend their wrist this way. Well, they've got different coordination level to say a five-year-old who needs to hammer the nail. They might need a different technique because they don't have that coordination or even that strength in their arms yet. It may even be that, you know, someone who is not as good at something might be a better coach because they've had to overcome a problem. So I remember, you know, when I when I was in my twenties, I wanted to be big and muscly. I did I didn't maybe I wanted to be a bodybuilder, but um, probably not. I just wanted to be big and strong. I used to look at guys like the bodybuilders, like Ronnie Coleman, and look at what they do, and not realize that they had different genetics to me they didn't have to overcome the problems that i did so me trying to follow their workouts when number one they were on steroids
1: yeah i was going to say and they were probably shooting steroids
0: yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so i mean you the equivalent of that in golf is these guys have the best equipment in the world they have every they have a whole team behind them and they have the best genetics in the world and they're practicing 10 hours a day they're doing things differently to what we we do and if you try to copy be a pro, you might not necessarily get the same results because you don't have all that stuff behind you. And so it may be someone, okay, here's a golf relevant example. If I want to learn how to hit the ball farther, I could go and look at someone who's always hit the ball far some big six foot eight monster, 400 pounds of muscle who's driving it 400 yards. I could go and ask them how they hit the ball far. They might not have a clue. They might just have always been good at that. Or I could go to someone who only hits the ball 300 yards, but you know what? A couple of years ago, they only hit it 200 yards and they learned how to improve it. And so that person would maybe a better teacher because they've actually had to overcome a problem so similarly, you know, in weight training, I, li- I started listening to guys like me who were ectomorphs by nature, you know, skinny people, and learn how they improve their muscles, uh, build their muscles, you know, through what they eat, how they had to train, because that was more relevant to me. So often, you know, taking advice from the best players in the world might not be relevant because they they don't know how to convey it. They don't understand the problem. They don't know what they do, actually. And yeah, they just can't relate to or they give relevant stuff to our level or your level, whereas a teacher is more likely to be able to do that because they understand yeah. the, the whole spectrum of levels.
1: I can't think of any top player ever who's gone on to be a great teacher. Like most of the great teachers who are respected at the industry probably played at somewhat of a high level, but they weren't standouts. Same thing in a lot of pro sports. Like I was watching a NFL playoff game last night and yeah, they were talking about players who went on to be great coaches and a lot of them weren't the standout athletes because they're saying like the best of the best, they can't relate to anyone else. You can't communicate. They're not normal. (laughs) So there's this funny video of of Dustin Johnson. It got sent around on social media forever. I I think it was the one where he's like, he had like a hooked line. He like faded. And he's like, how do you do that? And he's like, and don't forget to fade it. That was like yeah. the last clip.
0: He's <laughs> like, well, I just stand up. I aimed on the left-hand side and then make a swing and don't forget to fade it. That's how you fade well, I it, think guys.
1: <laughs> that's one of the reasons why you have, I think it was Phil Mickelson's quote on Faraday. His belief was that to play pro golf, you had to be either really stupid or really smart. And the people in between never made it. So you've got a lot of guys who have no clue why they're as good as they are. They just step up to the ball and hit the thing and are not thinking about it much. And then maybe someone like Phil, who is like probably thought his intellect was the reason why he was so good, but I'd argue he's got talent that no one else has either. It's 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 yeah, it's it's tough to glean advice from someone who's that good at something because the reason they're that good is different from why a fifteen handicap would go down to a 10 handicap. Beware of the the top professional golf swing tips. And unfortunately, those are really good marketing tools and always have been. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire. So it's a great place to get help. Now, here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Lynxwear is known for with their WonderLux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. Truelinkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and Deluxe G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off Deluxe G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes
0: yeah there's a coach on Facebook who markets himself as he was a great player Or I wouldn't say great player but he won lots of local tournaments he's got a trophy cabinet he often takes pictures of it and says he's very adamant that if you don't have a lot of trophies as a coach you can't coach and you know what I've watched some of his videos and they are horrendous I'm not going to name <laughs> him by name but they're horrendous information yet he's a really good player and he just you know his, his whole shtick is if you you if you're not a great player as a teacher you can't teach and there's, there's yeah i think obviously there's a correlation but yeah it's, it's yeah. pretty much nonsense yeah advice say, is advice
1: yeah my belief is if you're teaching the golf swing you know i would take swing advice from someone who is a really well-established teacher who had thousands of hours of coaching experience and and, and knew that craft would I care if they were a standout college player or played professionally? Not really, because I think there's examples of both. I think there are, are swing swing coaches who, like we had Rick Farron, he, he won a few times on the PGA Tour. He's now a very good swing coach. There's examples like that. And then you have some swing coaches that I know personally who aren't that good players, but they're really good at helping other people with their golf swing. Where I draw the distinction is, Would I take advice from someone on everything else? So I guess the kind of advice that I like to give if they can't play at a high level, probably not. That would be my differentiating factor. If I wanted to learn about everything but the golf swing and how to get better at golf, I think I would defer more to someone who had played the game at a higher level than someone who had no experience playing at a high level. That'd be the line where I, I would draw. To be yeah, honest.
0: definitely. I mean, they, could, they can obviously help you with experiential things. Like, I, I'm oh, never yeah. going to know what it was like to play down a major, you know, the last hole of a major or anything like that. So, yeah, they can give advice on that that I could never give because I don't have experience. But ultimately, I mean, when we look at the logic of this, advice is advice. And what I mean by that is say you get some advice written down on a piece of paper and it's good, it's relevant to you and it works, right? Whoever gave that advice, that's the irrelevant thing, whether it was a coach who gave that advice, whether it was a player who gave that advice, or whether it was even AI, artificial intelligence. Oh, that could be another episode Let's oh, not go down that yeah. rabbit hole right now.
1: <laughs> but say,
0: okay, say AI in the future gave advice and said, you need to flex your lead wrist, and that worked for someone, it was relevant to them. Then the playing experience does not matter in that, in that regard. The advice yeah. is the advice. So be very careful with this. That's why it's a logical fallacy, the call to or appeal to authority. Just because someone is an authority figure doesn't make their advice good, nor, nor bad. And just because someone can't play the game. Doesn't mean their advice is is good or bad. I've often said, you know, to this guy who says that you can't give good advice unless you're a good player, I said, well, okay, so say in the future when I'm 95 years old, but I'm still very sharp mentally. If I'm giving advice to someone, is my advice now worse because I'm a worse player at 95 years old than when I'm 30? Of course not. The advice is the advice. Maybe I give better advice when I'm 95 years old because I've got more experience. So yeah, playing ability does not relate to quality of advice necessarily. They might have a small correlation, but it's not something I look for when I'm looking for advice from someone
1: shall we talk about youtube
0: no no i want <laughs> no, to continue with this i got a bunch oh, got of more? stuff i got some examples basically so you know pros or good players they'll, they'll often give what worked for them right what's the only book that's not better than yours john but uh higher ranked than yours what's the oh, book no. that's always you're at gonna, the top
1: you're gonna go down this rabbit hole mr yeah, pitchforks mr Hogan's Come Hogan's out. book
0: Exactly, pitchforks come out. Well, hopefully people are more critical thinking now after that initial rant that we've had. So yeah, Hogan's book, probably very good, but we have to understand that Hogan suffered with a hook almost all of his life. So lots of the advice in his book, things like you know a weaker grip, what he called neutral is actually what most people would say is a weak grip. Most players will tend to slice it with that grip, You know, it's probably not a very good grip. If you get a player who's already slicing it, right, and they have a strong grip and they're still slicing it, and then they go and read Hogan's book, and Hogan suggests a weaker grip, they're probably going to slice it even worse. So the, the advice in Hogan's book was designed to fix his hook. It's not, it's not necessarily relevant to a lot of people. It may even make them worse. Now, I know there are lots of people out there screaming, well, I read Hogan's book and it made me better. Good, that's good for you. But you don't see the people who are also hurt by that advice as well. So, you know, just because it worked for Hogan, it was what he was feeling. And even in that, there are pictures, you know, that, it was all animated, right? It was all illustrations. And there are actual pictures showing that Hogan didn't actually do what he thought he did. So the illustrations yeah, in the book weren't I, the
1: same. I, I'm not a I'm not a Hogan historian, but I have heard stories that the book is not as accurate
0: as it might seem. Exactly, yeah. So a lot of it was just what he felt was real, not what he actually did. And then, you know, you've got other examples of things that might be great for that player, but might be horrible for the population as a whole. So Anika Sorenstam, right, the greatest female player ever to have lived, I, b- I believe. Most She's got the most wins. And she had a very target focus at least what i understand she had a very target oriented focus so she'd stand over the ball and she just picture the end result the flag and she played great golf well that's great if you're Annika Sorenstam, but if i give that to a hundred (laughs) golfers my famous phrase if i give that same focus (laughs) to a hundred golfers You might see some very good golfers perform really well with that. They might even perform better than they normally do with that focus. But there'll be a large subset of golfers who perform horrible with that focus because it's not great for them. It doesn't fit their exact needs. So there are loads of examples of things that pros do that work for them that wouldn't work for others. There are examples of things that, as we said, with Hogan, they might think they're doing something that they're not. So Mickelson's the example as well, hinge and hold. If you actually hinge in the backswing and hold it, you will miss the ball. Mickelson doesn't hinge and hold. He feels it, but he doesn't do it because he'd miss the ball if he did that. Faldo, as well, the old ball flight laws. I remember, rem, remember reading Faldo's book, and we you know they talked about start, place the club face where you want the ball to end, line your feet up where you want the ball to start.
1: That one killed me as a kid, that piece of advice.
0: Yeah. And that from a functional perspective for Faldo, that might have worked if he aimed his feet where he wanted the ball to start and then aimed the club face where he wanted the ball to finish. It may have hit a fade for him. But if you actually do that, if your club actually points at your target as you're swinging through and you're swinging to the left, your ball is not going to land on the target. You're going to hit block it straight into the trees because we know now based on physics that the ball starts very close to where the club face is looking. So for me, when I tried that advice, I just whacked it straight into the tree instead of curving it around. So it's very frustrating when you're trying what a pro says and what they said they do and what they, or what they think they do and what they actually do are very different. Same thing, I saw a video of Lee Trevino, I believe it is, I, I can't, uh, don't quote me on it, but very good player talking about how he compresses the ball into the ground. So he thought that you sandwich the ball between the club face and the turf. You're basically hitting the ball into the ground and it bounces up off the ground. That is not what happens. We know this. I've even posted this on social media and had loads, had a ton of people argue with me. Oh, well, Trevino is is better than you, so he's right. And then I have to post slow motion videos of this, so showing them that no, the ball doesn't compress into the ground. It never has and it never will unless you top the ball. You know, a really non-functional shot. So yeah, feel is not real. I've seen loads of images of pros saying that you have to shift your weight into the right side, and they show these static images of them with a huge lateral shift. And then when you go and watch the actual swing, they don't do that. That player obviously doesn't understand the difference between pressure shift, which is what they're feeling, and weight shift, which is the actual mass of the body shifting. So people will go off and copy these images of the player, of what they think they're doing, and then start to hit it worse, start to fat it and have poor low point control. Another example, the best putter I've ever seen, he gave awful reads. If you asked him, if you stuck him on a left or right putt and you said, where would you aim this? He'd say a foot outside the left. And the reality is it might be a three foot of break. So, and he didn't realize that, you know, he would set up and he'd make all these unconscious compensations, which Dave Peltz, the teacher, has uh, identified that all players make. So he would say it's one foot of break. And then he would go and set up and you'd set up with two foot of break. And then he'd go and pull it further up the slope to three foot of break. He was a really good putter, but he didn't do what he thought he did. Our guest as well, you know, Fratelli, great player, but when, what was it we asked him something like, oh, if you you have a day where you're shanking it or not hitting well, what do you do? And he's, I think he's just like, ah, I just try not to worry about it or forget about it. Well, that's great for him who can, he can unconsciously fix these patterns, but for an amateur, no, they need something to be able to fix that shank. You can't just let it go. You can't just think positively and have that fix itself. And one more example strategy. So the goat, right? Nicholas. Everybody's gonna gonna say, how can you how can you say something bad about Nicholas? Well, do you remember what Nicholas's strategy was, John? How he kind of went for. Are we gonna talk about?
1: Course? Well. A lot of people bring up the stories about if he wasn't hitting his driver well, he would hit his one iron off the tee. There's some stories like that. Uh, I don't know if that's what you're referring to.
0: I was talking more about how he goes into pins. So say the pin was tucked on uh, the left. Draw
1: it into a uh, back left yeah. pin and fade it into a back right. Yeah, I've heard some of that over the years. I quickly figured out I couldn't do it, so I abandoned it.
0: <laughs> exactly, well there's a couple of threads that lead off from that. Number one, you've got to have the ability to do both that draw and fade. Number two, you know, I agree strongly with Scott, with Scott Fawcett that you should stick to one shape. There's going to be one shape that's best for you, that produces the tightest dispersion. And 95% of the time, you should use that. There may be some situations where you have to bend it around a tree, where you have to shape it in your non-dominant way. But for the most part, stick to your dominant shape, the one that produces the best outcomes, the statistically lowest outcomes, tightest outcomes, I should say. And then from there, you know, the idea of if the pin is on the left, aim at the middle and draw it in for a right-hander sounds great and the logic behind it is oh well, if it doesn't draw as much then you're still on the middle of the green that's great in theory but what about the players who when they try and shape it their miss is to overshape it there's a huge amount of players out there who is this way and that's me even if i try and shape a shot it's very likely I'm going to overdo that shape, not underdo it. So if I try and draw into that pin, it's more likely that I miss the green left. My strategy would actually be better to aim at the pin and try and fade it away from it. So if I underdo the shape, it lands on the target. And if I overdo it, which is my dominant miss, I'll still be on the right side of the green. So all of these things can be figured out. I'm not saying that Nicholas's advice was bad. There are a subset of golfers where that advice would be the best for them. But there's also a hell of a lot of golfers where it would be the worst advice for them. So the advice has to be individualized to the player and what their patterns are. So, I mean, you can actually mathematically prove all of this. You can get players to hit draws, get players to hit fades, get them to try and hit straight shots and see which one is the tightest. And then you can mathematically prove which strategy would be best for them by overlaying those shot patterns onto different scenarios. And I know that sounds really complicated, but the simplicity or the simple answer to that is usually your dominant shape or the one that you hit the tightest dispersion with is always the best shot to go with. That's the simple answer. so so now i'm done with professional golfers and their advice what did you want to move on to john
1: we wanted to were we going to go to like youtube and that that part of the world now
0: exactly i'll let you start with youtube what's your experience with youtube advice
1: i'm not a big youtube person in general my issue with youtube is it's twofold and you can instagram whatever you can tick tock now (laughs) i mean how many places are people getting advice i put this in my book these two words there's there's a there's a relevancy issue and a continuity issue when you go to these resources so when you go on youtube the algorithm is designed to keep you on youtube so if you display an interest in fixing your slice or insert any other technical golf swing thing youtube's like great This person wants to learn more about this. We are gonna go now show you a million videos in a row from 30 different instructors. I mean, there is an endless supply of instructors on YouTube. And I don't necessarily blame the instructors. It's a really hard job being a swing instructor. They don't have a lot of job security. I think they're underpaid in a lot of situations. They, They work long hours. And one of the answers now to give them more job security is to kind of create this personal brand and share their information. So now you've got a lot of instructors who want to share their philosophy on the golf swing. Again, I don't blame them, but if we're talking about, well, what's best for the golfer, now if you go on YouTube with this intent to learn more about the golf swing, you're going to be shown a lot of different philosophies on how to fix that slice or whatever else it is. And you don't know which one is right for you. So there's the relevancy issue. You might not get the right piece of advice for your particular problem. And what's even worse, I think is the continuity issue is that for you to play your best golf, I always say that you want to be in this reactive state that I believe you should, you feel in other sports where you just step up to the ball and you're reacting to the target and you're hitting. And unfortunately, if you do listen to all this advice, your head is going to be filled up with a lot of ideas. And the moment you step up to the ball, you've got five, 10 different voices in your head with these swing thoughts. That is no way to give yourself the best chance to execute a good golf shot or keep it in play. The solution I would prefer in terms of continuity is if you've got a coach you really like on YouTube, stick with that one coach. You don't need five ten other voices like I'm always I always think back to the story of my buddy who's a swing instructor. We were in the pro shop and one of his students came in mm-hmm. <laughs> and he shows him his phone and this is a guy he's giving lessons to all the time and he's like check out this thing I saw on Instagram and I'm not gonna name the instructor is a very popular one and it's you know some video on shallowing the swing that was really in vogue at the time. He placates him. He's nice to him because it's his it's his student and he's paying him money. And then, you know, the guy walks out of the pro shop and he like puts his hand on his head. And I'm like, he's like, oh, God, like this is what people are dealing with. You know, you, you can't play better golf if you want to get help with your swing. You just can't listen to that many voices at once. And unfortunately, that is what Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, they're all designed to show you more, more, more. That the odds are are stacked against you, so that is my main problem. Not saying there's not good information on there. There is. There's some really bad information too. It might not fit with your swing, and even worse, you know, you're not going to get success listening to five or ten different voices at the same time.
0: And this is this is something people should understand about how YouTube works as well. And this is actually one of the reasons why, if you if you go and look for my YouTube channel, it's actually very very small. I don't do I rarely do. I might do one or two, maybe three videos on YouTube each year. And the reason why is because I know some guys who are in the YouTube space and there's a lot of pressure from them to keep pumping out content. Yeah, Because, you know, yeah, you get money for views. And so if you pump out one video a month... And you've got, or you pump out three videos a week. You're going to get paid more if you pump out three videos a week. So you can imagine you're in that situation where, where, well, the more I produce, the more money I earn here. They have to then search for ideas constantly, and they have to constantly, you know, find new drills, new information, new, and it ends up where even. Some of the really good coaches that I know, they're giving drills and producing content that they don't really want to. Pro- they don't want to produce. <laughs> they're just doing it because they have to, because they have to keep that business model going. And that's not everybody. I mean, the good thing in golf is there's lots of different areas we can do. Like I know Mark Crossfield is really good at this. He does lots of different videos on philosophy coaching. He does give swing advice as well. He gives it on playing as well. He's, so he's got lots of different areas, so he can produce a lot of content because he's got so many different domains that he's doing it in Whereas, you know mark is
1: mark is i'll give him a lot of credit he's really good at switching it up with like entertainment on course stuff product stuff swing stuff practice like he's i mean i think he's one of the the ogs of, of the youtube world but he's really good at mixing it up so you're not just getting like swing 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 stuff
0: yeah, exactly. But if you're just a you know YouTube instructor and it's just all swing advice, you can often get trapped in this cycle of, right, I've got to produce a new way of fixing a slice now. Okay, let's do something that I know doesn't really work a lot, but I'm going to do it because it creates more content. I never wanted that pressure. Personally, I wanted to be true to myself. If I have certain things that I know work, I didn't want to go down the route of creating more content on things that have a low chance of success because there are a lot lots of interventions like if you look at ways of fixing a slice I have probably three or four different ways that I know work that are pretty guaranteed to work and then I have a bunch of ways that are really low success rate that might work for just a few people if I were in the YouTube space I'd probably produce that content because I have to produce more content whereas I personally don't feel that pressure and that's why I didn't go the YouTube route but like I said there are loads of good guys on YouTube and I may even produce more content I know you're going to produce content as well, John, right?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, my, my current, I don't know when this will come out, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to turn my book into a video course, but again, I'm not a swing guy, so I'm just trying to help with my little corner of the golf world, which I think is less margin for ruining your golf game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the strategy side, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's, I'm friends with a lot of, I've become friendly over the last eight or nine years with a lot of different Coaches, whether they're club professionals or some of the bigger influencers and that pressure is there and it's a tough career because you have a lot of competition and as you said, if you do get some notoriety on these platforms, yeah, there's there's pressure to keep going and keep feeding the algorithm because a lot of people do make their their livings off of YouTube completely now. And unfortunately, yeah, that can, if your only jam is technical advice, then like, yeah, I mean, how many different ways can you say the same thing? It's going to keep, and unfortunately with the golf swing and the way golf works, that can be problematic for people who are consuming these videos every week on the golf swing. I have another piece of the internet that is very detrimental. If you, if you have some more thoughts on that, I can go to as well.
0: Yeah, go, go to it
1: people who are doing their research on google on a search engine which you know 90 to 95% of people are on uh, doing that on google i can guarantee you that if you're looking for articles like let's say you're not a video person and you're doing those searches like oh what's the best golf grip or how to fix a slice on google i'll just give you a under the the wraps explanation of what's occurred so search engine optimization, some people might know that term, but that that's become a massive thing on the Internet. So if you can become the top two or three results in big search terms in any category, there's a lot of money to be made. And people figure it out in the golf world. Well, golf is a really big industry. People are buying a lot of stuff. So I have a lot of expertise in search engine optimization. I used to work for Google, and I was pretty good at it for a long time on my site, Practical Golf. I tried to fulfill these queries with better answers. So if someone wanted to find out how to practice more effectively or add distance to their drives, I would give my version to that, which I felt was a more truthful explanation. Well, now what has happened is that there are millions of websites now, and it's not just golf, it's everything. There are people writing these articles that are not golfers. They've never touched a golf club. They've never coached a golfer. They are called content farms. And there's a ton of them in golf now. They look like really good websites. They sound nice, but it's absolute. I would say most of it is truly garbage information, especially on the golf swing. So I'd be really careful of people who are doing their research on Google at this point because I can pretty much guarantee you most of those people have never touched a golf club. They're just people who are hired by these websites who do some research on YouTube, and then they write a nicely a nicely formatted article that checks off a lot of boxes for the search engines. And unfortunately, Google's algorithm is not good enough yet to dis- discern between this. So you're being shown a lot of bad information out there on these sites. So I'd be really careful of a lot of them. I've had an inside look at it for many years, and I've seen what's happened over the last three or four years. It's gotten worse and worse. And it's actually it's just a problem in general for information on the Internet, not for golf. A lot of the articles you read online, you assume that they're, like, written by an expert, and they're not. Google's done some good stuff on the medical world, but it's not perfect. But there's a lot of junk out there, like so much junk.
0: I see it with review sites. you know when I, when I'm looking at a product, I might Google uh, look at the reviews, and there are lots of websites out there now that you can I can kind of tell when I click on oh, it yeah. and see it <laughs> that uh, this is not a true review. Someone has no, literally just... just written something about this product so then they can click, they can get you to click on their affiliate link so they get a commission off it. So the more they do that, and
1: there's millions of dollars at
0: stake. Yeah, exactly. You're
1: looking to buy a mattress. I don't want to get too far off the plot here, but golf is like that because there's a lot of golf products you can buy on Amazon or elsewhere. There's a big bounty for these types of sites. And and the the better, the more content they produce, the more money they can make. So they're just hiring out people from all over the world in many countries that don't even have a golf course (laughs) to write these articles. And yeah, just... Beware, people! <laughs> Don't look for swing tips on on, on Google searches. You're you're not going to find the answer you think.
0: And this stuff is going to get worse as well because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know yep. about <laughs> Chat GTP, which is basically yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like Google, you can type something into it. So you can type, design me a golf website and write a hundred articles on how to fix your slice. And this thing will do it for you in like 10 minutes. And so there's gonna be an influx of all this information coming out soon that's written by AI and we won't know the difference.
1: It's already been happening. There's There's been some AI tools that have been out and chat GBT is gonna go even crazier, but I'd, I'd actually played around with it for a while. For golf advice, I guess the next version will be smarter, which is kind of scary. But it's only limited to, I think, what was available pre-2021 on the internet. And most of the golf advice was limited to these garbage search engine articles. So a lot of it was really bad. I know ChatGPT has done some very cool things in different categories. But a lot of the golf advice I asked of it was the same like watered down nonsense that you would find out on the, all of these sites because that's what its knowledge was limited to. It'll be interesting to see what happens though. Like it's going to get a lot smarter very fast. So maybe there'll be a podcast of two AI personalities and they won't even be us.
0: Yeah, yeah. We could, maybe we could chat into chat GDP, uh to, you know, create an entire podcast script. I know there are, there are guys on YouTube who've done that. They've said like, type a video script for me and within five minutes it does it and they say it's perfect. They say it's really good. So uh, this might be the future. I'd be interested to see where golf instruction goes. I do see a place for AI, definitely. But golf instruction is a very creative format you know there's lots and lots of variables to take into account so i don't fear for my job just yet but in a hundred years time i think things might be very algorithmic in nature
1: yeah i think there's a, a very human aspect to coaching and golf especially more on like the topics that sometimes we discuss on like how to help people manage expectations and strategy and like yeah some of that can be AI'd, so to speak, but I'm hopeful that the human element will be important still. veering off the path here, but in any event, just be very very careful of written articles because the fact is, is that someone can hide behind an article much more easily than they could behind a YouTube video. So, for example, like the best golf YouTube coaches. Like they're very good communicators. They've got good information. Like they're not, you can't hide as much on video, but on an article, anyone in the world could be writing that and sourcing the information. And usually it's really not that good in my opinion. I think the biggest filter people need to have is that, you know, it's like that old Harvey Pennant quote, swing. uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but like swing tips are like aspirin. You take one or two and whatever, but you take the whole bottle and now you got a problem. I forget the direct quote, but it was something like that. And and that's very easily possible on on YouTube. You can sit back on your TV and it's just going to keep showing you, showing you, showing you more and more videos. And the more you absorb, I believe the worse you will get when it comes to the swing stuff, in my opinion.
0: And lots of it, again, with YouTube, because it's all algorithmic, the people creating the videos, they'll want to feed into the algorithm and so they know or they can find out what are the most searched terms. So, you know, when I, this morning over my coffee, I went onto YouTube and I looked at the golf videos, I just typed in golf swing tips. And the first few videos were on things like shallowing and lag, you know, cause those are the most searched terms. So if I wanna create a viral video, I'm probably gonna do something on lag. But the problem is I clicked and watched some of those videos and there was a lot of, It just wouldn't make a lot of players better. You know, it gave, lots of them gave the assumption that if you lag it more, you're going to hit it better. So just like you said with the aspirin, right? More is better, people think, but it's not the case. You know, for many players, uh, you could lag it more and hurt your game. In most cases, when people have a lack of lag or they're losing their lag or early releasing it, it, there's a prior reason to that you know there may be a very open face for example in the in the backswing or top of the swing or early downswing and so they're losing their lag or early releasing to try and alleviate that and so if they watch that video and try to implement the video information they would hit it worse i mean God, you can miss it completely if you, if you lag it more. So it's definitely not a case of more is better. But I think people watch these videos and they assume that, oh, this must be correct because it's on YouTube and it must be relevant to me. Yeah, they often, the videos, the, the ones that I watch at least, they didn't address when you might need more lag or if more is better. You know, they didn't address what it actually changes. So, you know, we know from geometry that adding more lag or later release is going to move the low point forwards. That's going to be good for lots of people, but it's going to be bad for some people. If you're someone who's a slicer and you swing way left and you've got a steep angle of attack, adding more lag and later release might be worse for you.
1: That's what you're paying for for a lesson, though, to get customized info, right? Like if you're you're going to get something for free like that, you have to understand the trade-off is that it's not customized information. It's more generic. Whereas if you paid someone $75 for a half hour or 45 minutes of their time, then they can make that distinction, which exactly, is you know, yeah. something people need to decide for themselves. Do I want the generic stuff or do I want more customized stuff that has a better chance of helping me?
0: Yeah, I think it can be done though. I think you can create say, a video on lag where you say, who is this relevant to?
1: Yeah, if if they, you add choose, more. Choose your this, own adventure.
0: <laughs> yeah, like if you add more of this, what is it going to achieve with the outcome? Because there's certain things based in geometry. If you add a later release, more lag, you're gonna create a more forward low point, which is gonna steepen the angle of attack, which is gonna tend to present the face more open as well. So again, this video would help all the hookers out there. But for all the slicers, which is what, like 90% of the population, that video is gonna make them worse. And there was nothing in the video that I saw that addressed that. There's nothing that says, if you slice this, you don't wanna watch this video. You wanna watch X video instead on how to close your face first. So yeah, they didn't address like other uh, needed matchups. Also a, a later release and more lag, those kind of things go hand in hand. It makes the club swing higher through impact. So again, that's great if you're fatting it, but if you've been hitting top shots, you're gonna be hitting it worse with this. It needs to be matched up by things that, you know, deepen the arc into the ground. So that's why pros have lots of squat first and then they have these later releases. Whereas for most amateurs who early extend, they would hit it worse if they tried to lag it more on later release. So all these things, it's like, is it relevant to you? What other matchups need to be in place? What does this move actually do? You know, there's so much on shallowing and rotating your body without any relevance as to what it actually does to the ball flight which is the most important thing.
1: <laughs> Another point I'll throw in and just, uh, I guess we're being more negative than usual, but one thing that I never, I mean, this is just me as someone who casually would look at a video like this and what, what I feel in my golf swing. Another issue when you have, when you're talking about a specific move in the swing, so you're, your brain is focusing on that now, right? So you're going to go to the range and you're going to try and add lag or do whatever. And like, I hear certain things about the swing that makes sense. I'm sure they're as you're saying all this stuff, it's like theoretically correct. And in physics, it's all been proven and all this stuff. But if I actually stepped up to a golf ball, thinking about that concept and like trying to do it with my body, stuff like on like the lower half of the body, when people talk about legs and anything involving the lower half of the golf swing, I don't think I could hit a golf ball with my attention there. I just couldn't do it. It wouldn't work for me. And I think that's what good coaches and instructors do is that, and you've mentioned this many times on the podcast and the the way you might work with the pupil is that you see a couple of faults and you give them something to focus on that might not even be related to that move, but you believe it's going to get the desired outcome in terms of the movement of their body. Again, another benefit of swing instruction and customized advice is because, yeah, my my thought always goes to if I'm watching a video on this specific like wrist angle or shallowing and then I try and go do it, I'm like, I can't hit a golf ball with my focus there. Like my focus needs to be somewhere else. And I mean, that's just me, but I can't imagine I'm alone on that.
0: Yeah, that goes into the whole science behind internal and external focuses. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're thinking internally, I I don't think, well, I know for sure that it's not always a bad thing to think internally you know you can, no, you can no, think about movement pieces but it has to be done in the right time and the right place usually yes. away from the golf course while you're training and hopefully not pre-tournament you know if you've got a week before your tournament you shouldn't be making any wholesale swing changes so doing it at the right time and place usually off season in training and then understanding that you might not necessarily play with that focus playing in a training focus might be completely different and yeah that doesn't it doesn't come through in a lot of videos you know so you end up with lots of players thinking about these things not only are they thinking about internal things when they're playing but they might be thinking about 10 internal things when they're playing because they watched 10 videos last night and they're cycling through them trying to trying to basically find which one's going to be working for them that day and then they end up getting to the 18th hole having not found one and being you know completely tied themselves in knots
1: and that's my the continuity problem is that when you have so many things at your disposal, you're not going to be very patient. <laughs> so you might psych, as you said, you might go through this like mental Rolodex through. I mean, it takes months of working on the right thing to see it through. Now, if you have all these options that are fingertips away, clicks away, now you're going to be cycling through all of them and not giving anything a chance to work. I always go back to the, it, it's like, I love the opening scene of Office Space where he's changing lanes in the traffic jam and going nowhere. And I always thought that correlates so well to golfers is that a golfer will keep changing, 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 and they're going nowhere. This overconsumption of information facilitates that type of behavior unfortunately, in my opinion.
0: The problem with golf in general is that you're going to see these highs and lows. Even if you just did the same thing over and over, you'll see these yeah, natural days where you play well or shots where you hit it well, and then you'll see some bad times. And when players are cycling through, that, like you said, this Rolodex of opinions and advice, when they have that day, that natural fluctuation that's up they'll hold on to that advice thinking that there was that advice that caused that update. And it might mm-hmm. have, but in a lot of cases, it might not have. In some cases, it may even have been detrimental advice. You just happen to have hit a good shot or had a good day with that advice. And so it can be really confusing for a golfer in terms of their long-term improvement because then they can get stuck working on something that they say, oh, well, it worked for me last week. And you're like, yeah, probably wasn't the thing that was working for you. You just had a good day and they get stuck in that mode trying to stick with that or you get the other person like bouncing around and trying to seek something new constantly.
1: So yeah, if you're someone who's been listening to this show for a while, now you know why we always talk about the same things over and over again because when you're looking at what makes the golf ball, what it should do, like there's not that much else to focus on than like the things that we talk about in practice and other stuff. Like I'm sure a lot of people maybe get sick of us and stop listening. It's like, oh, I wish I had something different to offer. And I think that's one of the reasons why you want to dumb things, not dumb things down. I'm trying to find the right words here.
0: Simplify.
1: Simplify the amount of options you have because my journey through this game has gone from complicated to as incredibly simple as I can get it because my goal for myself and for any other golfer is for those few moments when you step up to that shot, for your mind to be as clear as possible and let your body do what it hopefully knows how to do. You're capable of hitting those shots. You see it in practice and you're just getting further and further away from that happening. The more and more you cloud your brain with all this stuff yeah this is like a expose on modern living like this is a problem for all walks of life not just golf like i struggle with this outside of golf like this consumption of information like i'm trying to fix it in my own brain and golf my philosophy is so deep on this that i don't allow it to occur but i see it happening to me in other walks of life and it's 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 troublesome to be honest with you yeah that's have we beaten the internet to death
0: enough yet (laughs) yeah kind of i mean on that topic you know i I've always tried to look at the underlying principles of everything, so you know I'm big on diet and nutrition and through all of my research, all of the complexity that I've looked at in that regard, it's come down to some simple things about protein and calorie intake, You know, and there's lots of flexibility around that. And what we've beaten to death is the impact variables, particularly the big three, ground contact, face contact, face direction. And I think once you realize that those are the things that guarantee good shots, the rest of the advice can then be related to those things. It's like if someone yep. says, well, you need to flex your lead wrist, well, my next step is, well, how does, that infl- imp- uh, how does that influence the big three or one of the seven impact variables? And so for me, that's kind of my process as a pro. I'm looking at every single golfer, whether it's a tour professional or compete beginner, and I say, right, what do they need to do better at impact? And then what can I implement to improve that impact variable? So say I've got a player who's shank, shank, shank. Okay, I need to improve their face strike. Then what can I do, either skill-based or technique-based or even strategy-based, that can influence that face strike. And there are certain facts that are rooted in geometry. So it's no longer voodoo. There's a very uh, specific process here and there's very specific answers to to these problems. It's not just, oh, just try this move for aesthetic reasons or because Dustin Johnson does it or Matt Wolf does it or something. Yeah, there's a very clear process there.
1: Yeah. And that's why I've, you know, when you look at other walks of life, like I'm really into fitness and personal finance and I've consumed a lot of content on that, but ultimately like the people I end up following are like, yeah, for fitness, sleep eight hours a night, drink a lot of water, strength train a few times a week, walk a lot, eat whole foods and less stuff out of a box and get enough protein. And it's just like, simplified stuff to keep your habits going. and personal finance, it's like, you know you don't have to be a stock picker. You save more than you earn, put it in low cost in, index funds and don't freak out and just leave it in there for a long time. So it, it's funny how like, I think a lot of people in, in different, in order to stand out in a lot of things online, you have to get more extreme, right? So there's all these like crazy fitness things and like diets. And I'm like, how does someone stick with this? Like, it's so insane. Rather, you can just do, And again, like I said, I end up with the basic people. It's just like, if I can tick off these few boxes every week, I know I'm going to be pretty healthy and like well off financially. I don't need to do all this like crazy extraneous stuff because as you said, those are the big three or four, the face strike path, controlling the face and ground contact. It can be that simple. It's just, I think the noise complicates things for a lot of people. Not to say golf is the same exact thing as like lifting weights and health. I think it can get a little bit more complicated, but I guess that's why our we we end up on on the simpler
0: side of things. Well, with the difficulty of the game, I think it's, it's easy to jump ship on any advice. So, exactly. You know, yep. Like we talk in, in terms of facts, you know, it's ground contact, face contact, face direction. You get those three, you're going to hit a good shot. Okay. So the next stage is, well, how do you do those three? And as I said, you can develop it from a skill perspective. You can develop it from technique perspectives. They're rooted in geometry. You could do it from certain strategy perspectives. You know, if someone's producing a, a three degree left path and a face that's too open to it, they're going to slice everything to the right. But if that person were to, you know, strategize to hit the left rough, they would hit their shots would land on the target. Now, is that the most optimal strategy? No, but it is an option for us that we could look at. So yeah, there are ways of fixing these things that are very definite. I just, like I said, I just find lots of, the YouTube advice or magazine articles, things like that, conflicting, not relevant to the impact variable as well. So, you know, I've seen magazine articles where it tells you, oh, you need to in the takeaway, have the club so it's toe up in the takeaway. And I've seen that same magazine, the literally the same issue of the magazine. You flick towards the back and there's someone saying the toe needs to be down or the face needs to be pointing more towards the ground in the backswing. So you can see conflicting advice within the same magazine. And, you know, similarly on in YouTube, I've seen lots and lots of articles about shallowing it. And then there's, you know, a famous teacher who promotes more of a, uh, an over move where he's trying to steep the shaft in the downswing. And so sometimes I get lots of emails with players like conflicted over which one to be doing. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's very difficult to navigate this stuff all your on your own. And there can be plenty of great advice out there, but it's just generally disorganized and not relevant to you. So if you're really true about this game and you want to improve as much as you can try and find a coach or if you are going to do it the free route stick to someone who you can follow their entire philosophy really
1: absolutely what, any other uh things on your list we have to hit
0: uh just i suppose that you know be watch out that you can actually do this stuff as well you know i i know that a few years ago there's a, a really good teacher out there And, you know, he has very good success with pupils, but is also teaching very young pupils, you know, and all their pupils are very physically gifted and able to do things with their body that the average 50, 60, shit, I can't do it. I'm 38 and I can't do some of the stuff that they were asking to do. So, you know, watch out with some of the... the, advice you know watch who they're teaching as well It might not be relevant to you you know shallowing it a turn and rotating a turn looks great and if you're a 16 year old kid it, it might be yeah, great if you're but,
1: limber and you got good mobility but if you yeah. don't where's that ball going
0: Exactly, <laughs> you, might be, you might be better off looking at someone who coaches senior players if that's more your speed, what your body is or even just looking, I, I love looking at senior swings as well because it's more relevant to the average golfer because those guys are full of injuries and physical limitations and it's just a, it's a good exercise in seeing what can actually work, You know, especially if you can't move your body effectively. So be aware that not everything's relevant to you physically as well. Next thing, John, I wanted to move on is coaches. I don't want to denigrate anybody here. It's, prob- <laughs> it's probably gonna happen a little bit, but I really the goal of this is to make people more again critical thinking. And even if you were to get coached by me, you know, feel free to ask questions and press my knowledge to see if what I'm doing is is right. You know, I love it when someone challenges me a little bit, especially if it makes me think outside the box. Yeah, coaches. What do, what are your opinion on golf coaches?
1: I mean, in general, I think there it's like any profession. There's great, good, not so good. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's a wide variety of coaches out there. I get a lot of messages from people, you know, who've worked with a coach and they haven't gotten better. But I've also gotten a ton of messages being like, "Wow, if I, you know, once I spent that money on lessons versus." purchasing the new driver every year, I I got way better. So it's my belief overall, and we've done episodes on how to work with an instructor. It's my belief that it's the safer investment for a golfer to work with a qualified swing professional versus trying to figure it out on YouTube. Like if you told me those were your two options, I'd say don't buy the $600 driver, invest in a series of of lessons with a coach And I think you'll have a better chance of improving. There's no guarantees in golf. But yeah, I believe in swing instruction. It's helped me. But there are circumstances where it's not the right fit or you're getting information. There are some instructors who like to teach one swing and they're kind of set in their ways. I'm not a fan of that type of philosophy. I'd rather someone who has a better understanding of matchups and is going to kind of see what's going on with your ball flight and work backwards to seeing how to fix that versus saying like, okay, this is how I like all my students to swing the golf club. Like I'm not a big fan of that. So there's some opening thoughts for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously the, probably the best source of information you're going to get to improve your game is going to come from a teacher because these are guys that in most cases they can play the game. Not that I see that as important, but it doesn't hurt to be able to play the game. (laughs) And they've also, they spend their lives, most of the coaches I know at least, spend their entire lives constantly researching the game. And also our information is battle-tested. So you know the phrase I use all, all the time. Well, yeah, this is how golf pros think they know that if I implement this in X amount of players, what success rate is it gonna have? They might not be able to, they might not verbalize it like I do in that that way, but they instinctively understand that, oh, this intervention I've done has had success. When I've had slices in the past, when I do X, it has more success. And so they know how to teach, they know how to get results in you. Pros are gonna have, on general, better advice. Now, I know the argument to that will be, lots of people will say, well, I went to a pro and they made me a hell of a lot worse. Well, yeah, this can happen as well. I mean, there are lots of traps we fall into. We shouldn't just take it that a pro is gonna give good advice. There are lots of pros who, I'll be honest, they sell Mars bars for 90% of the day and then they go out and they do a couple of lessons at the end of the night. They're not you know, fully immersed in instruction. And then there's some other pros like myself and, and most of the people I hang around with who every waking hour, they're discussing with other pros. What worked that week? What didn't work? What's new in golf instruction? What's not working? What are the tried and tested things? We're constantly, I spend, people ask me how much I work. I'm like, well, my brain never stops. Even when I go to sleep, I'm dreaming about this stuff. I'm constantly trying to improve my craft. Uh, Not all professional teachers are like that, unfortunately. So, um, you know, I would probably pick a teacher who their main job is coaching. That's not to say some other guys who, you know, work in a shop and things like that aren't great at their job as well, but I would probably veer towards coaches who are on the range most of the day as well. Don't necessarily look for age as well. Age is not, you know, when I was young, yes, I had less experience but I was very critical thinking. And I know lots of young coaches out there now who are not incredibly experienced, but we've got this wealth of new information. We got all this forces and talks, and we've got TrackMan and ball flight laws. We know a hell of a lot more. We've got access to the internet. So there can be a 23, 24 year old kid who knows a hell of a lot more than someone who's been coaching for 30 years, who doesn't care about the new information. He's not. Really Researching the latest information. Who doesn't own a track man? Who doesn't care to own one? So, age is not always a good thing. It has more experience, definitely, and that is a good thing. But age can be a limiting factor as well. If you're if you're stuck in your ways, well, I think you
1: know when we spoke about how the wealth of information can be detrimental to the recreational player because they don't have the ability to absorb all of it and filter it and put it into their swing. I think. All of that knowledge has benefited a lot of swing professionals now, especially the diagnostic tools that are available. So, yeah, you could have someone who is only teaching for three or four or five years who if they have, you know, the launch monitor and some other stuff at their disposal, they now can diagnose much more quickly what is wrong with the player's impact conditions and and get them better faster than maybe someone 30, 40 years ago who was just looking at it with their eyes and also didn't have the right, technically the right information back then. So I think the chances of getting help from a knowledgeable swing professional are higher than ever and will continue to increase because of that. So yeah, I agree with you too, is that There's plenty of like old school teachers who can still teach, but then, you know, you also don't want to discount the younger people who have learned from the latest technology and are absorbing a lot of great information online and are getting better faster from that. I think a lot of the technology has helped facilitate better lessons, especially the ones that I've seen.
0: And nowadays you can bypass, as as a young instructor, you can bypass a hell of a lot of trial and error by speaking to other professionals. You know, I mentor some other younger coaches and, you know, they'll send me swing videos or they'll say, you know, I have this problem with this player. And I, then I can say to them, well, based on what you've told me, you know, here are your options and here are the ones that I found to be more successful with that type of player. And so they can bypass thousands of hours of in field practice just by asking me and then going off and implementing that you know it used to be that we go off and we would physically be mentored by other coaches so we'd have to watch their lessons but you know and and chat to them that way but it can all be all be done over the internet now you can go and, and speak to some of the best coaches in the world lots of them are, are very accessible as well
1: yeah and you have people like you know andrew rice like has his coach camps and he's gathering top minds and, and, and these young guys are going and learning like in, in a few days what would have taken them years to learn. Or even, you know, a lot of coaches doing Scott Fawcett's decade seminar. They're, now they're bypassed a lot of years of learning and now they can explain to their pupils how to pick targets more effectively. So the exchange of information has been incredible. But I think the main thing that we're talking about is that like if the information's at the top. And the golfer goes straight to it and has no intermediary, that's usually a low probability of success. However, if you have the swing professional in the middle of that and they are learning, filtering, and then dispersing what the player needs to hear and not everything else, that's the much better chance of success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of the traps with that, I suppose, are similar to content creation, right? You, even if, you know, there's always new technologies coming out. There's things like force plates and, you know, that we're going to have AI ability to just hold your phone up, take a video of a swing and then all of a sudden get all the angles of your body and everything like that. And while those things are great, you know, the people who, produce those products, they have very big incentive to sell that to people, and that might not always be the best option. <laughs> you know, there are there are certain scenarios where we've gone down rabbit holes when things like the K-Vest first came out, and all of a sudden we could see every angle in 3D of what the body could do. Lots of instructors became uber-technical and tried to box people into what they thought was right, you know, like a perfect kinematic sequence, for example. Whereas the reality is there's, what, 50% of the tour play? out there don't have an ideal kinematic sequence and to try and box those players into that would would have made them worse so similarly on force plates when those first came out I know lots of instructors were trying to get these perfectly smooth and pretty linear traces with force plates and it just we find out now it's completely unnecessary and lots of the best players in the world don't have those you can be too much of an early adopter as well of new technology and new information and have it not tried and tested So I'm always very cautious when there's new stuff come out and to try and be very critical thinking of it and see what the practical implications are for it.
1: Yeah, you always got to have a balance. That's for sure. I've just always believed that the coaching instruction ultimately boils down to communication and the most skilled communicators will absorb that and make the appropriate determination so that the student can say, okay, I don't have to worry about 17 different things when I'm swinging. We can only focus on one or two or three things and manage those at a time and then move on when we feel like we've made that more natural in the swing. Yeah, it's a tough, I mean, I've said this before on the show is that I'm just, personally, I'm not that interested in the golf swing. I don't really have, I've never gravitated towards it that much. That's why I'll never teach the golf swing. But I have a crazy amount of respect for how much time it takes to get good at it and and be confident enough to work with, with golfers to make them better. So I, I do have a, a tremendous respect for the craft of it. It's hard. It's, it's a really hard profession.
0: <laughs> yeah. On the topic of coaches and, you know, thinking about modern technology as well, Instagram is a huge thing. And it's, it's very common that some of the accounts that blow up, some of the, the teachers that, get loads and loads of followers you know they're posting maybe before and after swings or maybe posting pretty looking swings and uh, often there's no context behind it as well so you know they'll post a before and after and it's like yeah great that looks amazing but it's like well i know as an instructor that there's some kind of dark part to this is that you can make a swing look beautiful and that person could perform Awful with it. they could perform horrible with it. Now you'll oh, that, get a that's ton a of separate Instagram topic likes. we're gonna that, that's yeah. a
1: separate episode we're gonna do soon.
0: <laughs> you'll get a ton of Instagram likes from that and then they'll feed the algorithm and then you'll start to do more of it because then you get trapped into that. But yeah, you can make a swing look better and it could perform worse. And on the other end of the scale, I've sometimes made swings look less textbook on video but all of a sudden their performance is better. You know, I had I had a guy the other day who he, uh, we were trying to change something at impact and we found that, you know, when he changed that at impact and improved it, he improved his face strike basically, he was shanking it. We did a few skill drills based on it and we massively improved or got rid of the shank but his inside, his takeaway started to go a little bit more inside. And I was looking at this thinking, you know what, if I posted a before and after here, everybody would have said I made this player worse because of their assumptions about pretty takeaways and things like that. But I'm not going to post that because I know this player is now hitting it better. And, you know, that player has gone off and for a few weeks now has not shanked it and has played much better. So sometimes pretty swings... Don't make pretty golfers or pretty scores or pretty outcomes. And sometimes the reverse can be true. You can make a swing look less textbook, but it performs much more functionally. So watch out with those traps when you're looking at coaches, looking at Instagram and things like that. Even something like, so here's a huge trap I see players fall into is coaches with a huge stable of players or a stable of players who are winning all the time. This is a trap. This is a a kind of a logical fallacy. It's not always a bad thing, but I know, you know, sometimes we mention what type of coach should we pick? It's like, well, the coach is having lots of success with players. Like, yeah, that would be a logical thing to think of, but it's not always correct. Because think about it, right? You could have a coach. I know this to be true. There are coaches out there who have maybe taught loads of players and then they've had one success. Right. They've had one player who's gone off and had huge success. What happens? People look at that coach and they go, oh, their player has been successful. I'm going to go to them. And as more players go to that coach, that coach is going to get more success because they got more players now. And as they get more success, the good players are going to say, I'm going to go to that coach. He's having loads of success. And as that coach gets more and more good players flock to them, they're going to get more success because they're getting good players flock to them. It's not necessarily what the teacher is teaching that is causing the good success. In fact, I know that there are some coaches out there who have they're having lots of success, but they've, they've also ruined a few players as well. But you don't hear about those stories. You only hear about the successes. So it's just it's just something to be a little critical thinking about because it is usually a good sign that if a coach is having success with their players, they're probably doing a good job. But it's you've got to be a little bit more critical thinking about it. It's not always the, the case. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you are going to work with someone and – you know, you maybe have your introductory session and you're thinking, wondering, is is their communication style fitting me? You're going to have to give it some time. And as a critical thinker saying like, well, if you listen to us saying like, is this teacher helping me with my big three here? Am I seeing more improvement? And, and it, is this and you could ask those questions like, why, why am I changing this in my swing? How will it help there? So hopefully we've given you some things to think about if you do listen to this show. But yeah, it's tough. Because I've befriended so many different instructors, I know the ones that have gotten that type of success and I see how it feeds upon itself. And not to say they don't deserve it, but then I also know a lot of coaches who don't seek that out. They don't have big social media, but they're every bit as good. And they're just not as, you know, sometimes in that profession, you need to be kind of your own cheerleader and make sure you're getting that attention because that is what gets you more students. So in terms of the golfer who interacts with these coaches that- Yeah, you can't just assume based on the reputation that it's going to work for you. Try and think critically and don't assume that it's going to work out based just on reputation.
0: Yeah, there there are loads of great coaches. I want to finish that. There are loads and loads of great coaches out there. (laughs) Yeah, especially now with the amount of education that we have. It's just to be just a little aware that just someone has a big following or they have a stable of players or they have pretty swings on the Instagram feed. That doesn't necessarily make them a good coach. It doesn't necessarily make them a bad coach either. It's just be critical thinking about it. You know, I would start to ask that coach, you know, especially if you're having lessons with them, you know, why are we changing this effectively? If a pro, a pro says, right, you need to do this at the top of the swing, it's fair game for you to ask them, well, why? What is that changing for me? What, specifically, what is it changing at impact? Or what is it improving the consistency of? Because the result is caused by a changing impact. That's undeniable fact. The result is improved by a change at impact. So if someone's changing something in your motion, there has to be some logical relationship there. If there's not, if the coach can't explain it, if they're just changing something for aesthetics reasons, that's the wrong reason to do it. Now, the, the only other thing would be like to prevent injury or something. You know, there may be a cause to, to make a change to prevent injury they should also get measurable results as well the coach now this doesn't mean instant you know because sometimes when we change something when we change something new it takes a little bit of time to get used to it you may you may need more practice as well we may need for the other variables to start to come together but there should be some kind of measurable result so for example If I have a player whose path is 15 degrees left and they want to learn to draw it, I've got to show measurable results, at least on the level of did that swing path number change. If it didn't, if we can't get that to change in a lesson, then I'm not doing my job. Luckily, I get a swing path to change every single time I do it. I haven't had that a lesson where I can't do that. Or if someone has a shank, for example, they have to see measurable results in changing that. You should, within an hour, be able to see a move in the average strike pattern away from the heel. If they're not, if that's not happening, in my opinion, that's poor coaching. Either from the information that the coach is giving you is not good or they're not giving you the process that you need to improve it. Sometimes the information is good, but you're not doing it because you don't have a good process. And again, that comes down, a lot of that is on the instructor as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll go off hit at the end of the lesson, hitting every shot well or every shot better. There's still going to be practice needs to be done on your on your behalf. But yeah, you know, you don't want to be if if you're a, with an instructor and you've been with them for three or four months and you're not seeing anything change there's probably a problem there
1: yep we had that conversation with shaheen nakjavani you can go back to that episode where we kind of talked about the time and the process with lessons and what you can expect i thought that was a great episode well we're well past our usual time any other thoughts or are we uh Ready to give people yeah, our just, emails for the hate mail. <laughs> well, I just kind of
0: wanted to talk about, you know, finish that by what is good advice? You know, I suppose it's just a summary, the the complete black and white version of what we just did. So what is good advice? It gets to the actual problem. You know, we've talked about the impact variables. There are seven impact variables of which we talk about three being the big ones. Ground contact, face contact, face direction the swing advice should be relevant to that so if you are slicing it you've got an open face to the path you need to either change path or face or a combination of both so the advice needs to be relevant to that it can be geometry based as well there are lots of facts if you do x in your swing it will affect the impact in in y way and then you can use my battle-tested concepts of if I give this move to 100 golfers, it's going to have this success rate. So I know that there are certain things based in geometry, and then there's certain things that have a higher percentage success rate when you give to an actual human. So it's kind of battlefield tested. Ideally, the information should solve as much as possible with minimal information. So I know you talk, John, about how you don't want a bunch of things running through your head. So if you can solve two or three impact problems with one thought, then that's the best option. Has a long-term outlook as well. You know, say for example, someone's fatting the golf ball. Well, you could just whack the ball back in your stance or you could work on a later release. Well, a later release is probably going to have the best long-term benefit for you over just putting the ball back in the stance. And we shouldn't also have to revamp our entire swing. I think good advice should be a case of what can we add to your existing swing that will make it better, make it function better. Now, we can also make it look better, but it has to have function as the primary goal. So that's that's kind of how my process is when I get players. I try and base everything in facts. I look at the outcomes they need to change, right? So if you came to me for a lesson, John, you might say, I'm struggling with hitting fat shots. So I'd say, right, you need to change ground contact. Then we look at the options for that. It could be moving your low point forwards. You might send me some data and I might see that your angle of attack is too shallow. And so I say, right, this player needs to move their low point forwards. Then from that, I look at the options. I might select the best one for you based on what I believe. And then I'll give you either a technique change, strategy change or skill drill that will be able to change that. Yeah, there wouldn't be a revamp of your swing, it would be very relevant. You know, if you went to a bad coach, for example, they would change your takeaway, right? We've all talked about your takeaway is very inside, right?
1: Don't touch my takeaway. (laughs)
0: Exactly. But there's no need to, right? For your goals, if you need to change low point, you don't need to change that takeaway directly. In fact, trying to change that takeaway is completely, not completely irrelevant, but largely irrelevant. We could make that takeaway look textbook and you could hit it worse and not get the desired impact goals. Whereas if we just change low point position, your, your ground strike would improve because it has to, it's geometry. And you know what? The takeaway might get better, might even get worse. We don't care because you've improved your function of your swing. So that's how I see instruction is, yeah, it's not all about pretty swings, it's about function. So what closing thoughts? Well, that
1: is definitely a topic of another another episode we're going to be recording soon. So there's a little yeah. preview. There you go. Want to do what a, other thoughts we do a closing have,
0: statement time? Yeah, that was my closing statement. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'll make mine somewhat somewhat brief, hopefully. I, I think there's overall, wh- wherever you're getting information, Like, I think there's a lot of great information out there. I think there's a lot of well-intentioned people. And then there's some bad information from people who don't know what they're talking about and some bad actors as well. Either way, you know whether it's your buddies at the range, on the course, YouTube videos, the issue, and, and really I'm talking about golf swing information because I think that's the most detrimental, is that if you don't have any type of filter and you keep consuming, 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 I believe we take our 100 golfers, <laughs> a lot of them are going to be worse off And, you know, my answer to that would be stick with one voice. You know, if it's a coach on YouTube you really like, or you can work with them directly and get some lessons, you know, you could do online lessons at this point or, but my my best solution to that would be, you know what? You don't have to be a swing expert. Leave that to the people who know what they're doing. You want help with your swing, go work with a coach. We think for the most part, most of them will help you. Not a guarantee. And you got to be patient, ask the right questions, and be willing to put the work in. I just strongly believe that there are a lot of odds stacked against you online when it comes to this type of information. So do your best to filter as much as you can and not get stuck. Don't get stuck in the algorithm, I guess is my my main word of caution. So that 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 is my closing statement.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hope the information in the future, it is getting better. There's plenty of good stuff out there, but I hope information in the future becomes more fact-based, so very impact-relevant. You know, if you're trying to fix a slice, you got to be fixing path or face. Uh, geometry-based as well, so that goes into the fact-based stuff battlefield tested as well, and then also explained when it's relevant to you. You know, you can't just, it can't just be a video thrown out there saying this is for everybody. I mean, there can be some stuff, But yeah, explaining when it's relevant to you and more importantly, when it's not relevant to you as well. And that's what I try and do in all my programs as well. So obviously (laughs) there's a plug leading to my stuff, Next Level Golf on my website, adamyounggolf.com. That is where I, I put all my philosophies in there or you can obviously get the strike plan, accuracy plan as well. But with that said, you know, I just hope that people become more critical thinking at the very least if you're gonna stick with free advice, definitely
1: sure and you can find me if you have some hate mail for me i'm at uh, a <laughs> practical golf.com check out my book the four foundations of golf which is not about the golf swing everything else we appreciate everyone listening and hopefully you got some new critical thoughts from us in this episode and we will see you next time with a new one
0: i think you were pretty tame in that one john i'm, I'm gonna get all the hate mail if anything <laughs>